All right. Um, hello, everybody. It's uh, Chapo coming at you for Monday, May 9th, 2022. And uh, sadly, I have, to begin a, I have to begin this show with a sort of a gentle admonition. Sadly, a lot of y'all still don't get it. What don't you get? Sadly, you have failed to get that ape holders can use multiple slurp juices on a single ape. What does this mean? If you have one astro ape and three slurp juices, you can create three new apes. Still don't get it? Well, our guest today is someone who is trying to understand the apes and to slurp them. We're joined today on, t- on the show by Ben McKenzie, who you may remember from such TV shows as The O.C. and Gotham. Ben, first of all, thank you for being here. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. What an intro. What an intro. Uh, first of all, have you, uh, have you slurped any apes recently? Ben? You know, I haven't slurped apes recently. I was so disappointed in the slurping because I really have felt, I really thought slurping meant something else. Um, <laughs> maybe for people that aren't having sex, that's what slurping means. But, you know, to me, <laughs> slurping is something else entirely. No, no, it's actually, they're not mutually exclusive. Like, oh, okay, okay. I, I, I mean, they, I mean, this is like kind of sad. I don't really like talking about my life that much uh, on the show. Like, I, I just don't do it usually, but I I should bring this up. Like, a, a girl came over, and, like, after, you know, we did the, you know, I shook her hand and let her go to the guest bedroom. After that, she, like, while I was asleep, went to my desktop and put slurp juice on my apes. She created three new apes out of the one ape I had on my desktop. And I was, like... I was, I was like saving it for 18. I was going to spend 18 years waiting for my niece to do that when she graduated uh, high school, that she could uh, morph my apes with the, <laughs> with the mint juiced event or whatever the fuck it is. And now it's just like, I either have to buy new apes or uh, kill myself. I don't know. Uh, I mean, like, the question is, many apes are still unevolved, um, but we're dealing with that today. Uh, so, uh, Ben, like you, you've you've uh, sort of become a, like a, a bit of an investigator into the uh, the world of NFTs, crypto, and the mega metaverse. Uh, but I want to begin today's show with a, a little contemporary news from um, just the other week. Um, this comes courtesy of the Wall Street Journal. NFT sales are flatlining. Uh, we're experiencing a complete collapse of the NFT market. Uh, just from the Wall Street Journal, they say the sale of non-fungible tokens or NFTs fell to a daily average of about 19,000 this week, a 92% decline from a peak of about 22,500. Oh, no, sorry, 225,000 in December, according to data from the website Non-Fungible. The number of active wallets in the NFT market fell 88% about to about 14,000 last week from a high of 119,000 in November. Um, ben, who could have seen this coming? Who, 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 who could have seen it coming? It's a, it's a beautiful market where they're selling uh, these things called NFTs, which please don't ask me to explain what a freaking NFT is, but it's definitely not an unregistered, unlicensed security. Um, <laughs> I have a degree in economics and this stuff drives me crazy uh, because what's happening is you're setting up. So in NFT markets in particular, it's wash trading. It's all fake volume anyway or most of it is, you can create as many wallets as you want and you can sell these things back and forth to each other, right? Making it look as though there's a real market and you could really like have value here. And then, you know, (laughs) when you've raised the price a suitable level, then you, you dump it on some poor unsuspecting sap and, um, and the game continues at some point, 
um, you know, even in a manipulated market, you run out of gas because uh, no, 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 it's not a pun. I didn't mean it to be a pun, but I guess it could be a pun in terms of gas fees. Anyway, um, it's all, you know, it's the book we're writing. I'm writing with uh, Jacob Silverman. Uh, Jacob, when you're listening to this pod, he's a big fan of the pod and he's not on, which is a testament to the fact that I still got it. I'm I'm a former teen idol. <laughs> you're you're the one you re, you reach out to me, not Jacob, who apparently knows you guys and is like friends with you guys, I guess, or has played some game with you. That oh, what he, is, okay, what I, did he do? Jacob, like I don't see why he would be jealous because Jacob has played Counter Strike Global Offensive with me, which is the only point of being on this show. We we started this show. To get me more people to play CSGO with. Because it's hard to get five people when you're an adult. And they they won't let me go to high school Facebook groups anymore <laughs> to, ask, for, to ask for players. I told them it wasn't any it wasn't anything weird. I just I needed five people. And Jacob's played with me. I guess he doesn't remember because he he didn't bring it up. He's like, oh, I'm so jealous. I it's not like I've done the best thing any fan of the show can ever do and yeah. played on Vertigo with Felix. Yeah, Jacob, I mean keep this between us, but I think he's gone a little Hollywood, you know? He's Agreed. like it's gone to his head. You know? He's got those Twitter followers and he's like tweeting these gifs and stuff. Um yeah, he's a big fan of the pod. I too am a fan of the pod. Thank you guys for having me on. But to get back to the NFT thing, yeah, I mean, the book's about money and lying, um, you know, and I, I joke that I know a little bit about money from econ, but I know quite a lot about lying because I do it for a living. And, you know, they're lying. They're lying to you. They're calling it a currency. It's not a currency. It's basically more like a security. And a security, you know, we've had laws since the 30s uh, on that because in the 20s, the 1920s, 100 years ago, People were doing all sorts of crazy stuff, right? Manipulating the market and, and, and cornering the market and doing all sorts of stuff. Oh, sorry. I'm getting an Amber Alert on my phone. Um, someone's ape just got stolen. Someone's yeah. ape just got slurped. Somebody, there's a, <laughs> there's a slurp alert. Uh, uh, yeah. So, like, they're lying to you. And, you know, lying, not great. But when you're lying about money and, and they're taking, like, real money from you. Um, that's when I got, I got pretty pissed off. Um, last year, a couple of buddies of mine who I describe as like regular kind of like, you know, like upper middle class guys who have a little bit of money to play around with. And so they're playing around with crypto and they're like, Hey, you should invest in it. And you know, this is like last year. So, you know, crypto, crypto, it's everywhere. I mean, it's still everywhere, but it was like the first big, big $60,000 peak or whatever it was for Bitcoin. And so I looked at it and it was just like, this is insane. This is totally insane. Like, am I crazy? Maybe I'm crazy. So I just, I took uh, Gary Gensler, the head of the SEC. He taught this class on blockchain and cryptocurrency at MIT, and he made it available for free online. So I took it. I was very bored. <laughs> the entertainment industry had been kind of, you know, put on ice. So I had a lot of time on my hands. And, um, and I honestly, that did, that, that only helped me understand that I had more questions and that still none of it made sense. And so, yeah, long story short, like last year, uh, late summer, August, I just, I, I was like, this feels bad because if I'm right, then it's a Ponzi effectively. It's like a new form of a pot, like a decentralized Ponzi or, or multi-level marketing thing. If I'm right, then like you need more and more people to get into it in order to keep it going. Cause it doesn't create value. It doesn't have any utility in and of itself. 
And, and what happens is eventually you filter, you start like with early adopters and like people who are sort of like techie and stuff. And then you eventually you get down to like, to major ad campaigns, um, you know, starring movie stars, athletes, stuff like that. Um, it, it hadn't even really kicked off yet. It still, we still didn't have the Matt Damon Super Bowl ad yet. Um, that was to come only like a few months after I met Jacob, but I, I just, I hit him up and I invited him to beers at a, at a, uh, you know, Brooklyn bar, uh, and was like, let's write a book on crypto and fraud. And, uh, I think he, his wife was just about to give birth and I think he needed a reason to get out of the house. And he was like, yeah, sure. Let's do that. But yeah, we've been collaborating ever since and it's been super fun because it's such a crazy world. You mentioned like feeling like sort of ang- ang- anger at behest of people who, yeah, I mean, there are just a lot of bag holders in this. Like in a, I would say it's like 95% bag holders, but I was kind of wondering this while watching the recent collapse. This is particularly weird because like the pumpers, they're people who you'd expect it to be, right? It's like Elon Musk. It's guys who pop up out of nowhere who like bought followers and shit and then build an audience out of that. But then you have a lot of legitimate celebrities who presumably do not need to scam people. Like you have Reese Witherspoon, like future posts about NFTs, Jimmy Fallon. Do you like, like, for someone like Reese Witherspoon, do you think they're like in on the scam or do you think this is just a case of like celebrities just repeating things that were told to them? Well, I would never say celebrities would do any of that. any of the latter. Uh, no, I mean, my guess is, you know, and, and, and I would like to, I'll, I will stay generic here. So as not to talk smack about any specific celebrity, God forbid, but um, you know, your agent comes to you and they're like, Hey, you can make <laughs> X dollars by doing almost nothing. Um, and they go, tell me more. Uh, because it's not, you know, the the big ad campaigns, right? The Matt Damon ad or the Larry David ad or whatever. Those are LeBron ad. Those are all pretty straightforward, right? Like they get paid a lot of money in dollars <laughs> to convince you to take your dollars <laughs> and turn them into something else. <laughs> right? It's pretty straightforward um now you have to i don't know you i guess the truth is you don't have to do any deep thinking and that's probably what happened um the nfts are a little bit more interesting only in that the uh rumor (laughs) with some fact backed up in certain cases is that the celebrities are basically being given an nft they're not paying for the nft themselves i mean maybe some of them are some of them are, um, but a lot of them probably not. And there, someone is purchasing this NFT for them to, you know, free publicity, right? Not free publicity, but publicity. And everybody makes out, right? Celebrity gets their NFT that they have spent zero dollars on, and hopefully sells it or whatever. And uh, it certainly didn't cost them anything. And then, um, you know. The, the, the person who hired them to do that, running whatever NFT thing they're doing, they also get paid. The only downside, of course, is that the other person on the other side who's bought them has totally gotten housed, right? Like, just like, yeah, totally got screwed. Well, the, I mean, the, it certainly makes sense that, like, if you're gifted an NFT, like on both the, you know, the people who are minting it and the celebrities, it that certainly makes sense. Like, yeah. If you're gifted an asset, you'd want to be like, oh, everyone should buy this. Oh, women need to buy women need to buy apes. If women don't have the cool hedgehog collection, they're gonna die. Yeah. Um, but but like, yeah, it just seems like 
varying levels of participation. I'm inclined to believe that someone like Reese Witherspoon, who like I didn't hear from her for like 10 years. And then this is all she talks about now. I'm sort of inclined to think that she really believes it. Totally possible. I'm sure that's true of a number of folks. I mean, what's interesting about this particular you know, uh, thing that bears striking resemblance to other Ponzi's and multi-level marketing schemes of the past is that um, it did start out in a more, you know, it was, it was more of your tech forward people initially. Um, I mean, well, initially it was used to buy drugs, <laughs> but like at, after, at, after that point, you had a lot of like, you know, kind of people in Silicon Valley, people who were sort of interested in technology. And I use technology somewhat in quotes because um, the technology here is not new. Right. You're, so cryptocurrency is, you know, the Bitcoin white paper combined. I'm sure you guys know this, but just for the general audience, uh, combined blockchain, this 30 year old technology uh, from 1991, Stuart Haber and Scott W. Sternet at Bell Labs with public key encryption, which is even older, which is 50 years old. So, you know, older technologies, it's a distributed ledger, you're encrypting stuff, you're putting it on there. Yeah, it's cool. It's interesting. It doesn't really work as a currency, which they found out pretty quick, um, you know, because it's the proof of work like stuff doesn't really doesn't translate into uh, it's so energy intensive that it doesn't really scale. So, you know, along the way, it's gained so much steam and one has to assume that um, it obviously has utility for things that are illegal because um, it's operating outside the, the regular system. Um, and it has utility as a speculative vehicle and people who got in early in the speculation have made a lot of money if they've cashed out. So I think that Hollywood's not immune from that. I'm sure there's a lot of people who, you know, not a lot, but a number of people who have gotten in and made a bunch of money. And once you made a bunch of money, you tend to believe in something a lot. Um, so for them, I'm sure it's, it's, it's cool. It'll be interesting to see how long that lasts, right? Today, the market just like tanked. And crypto tanked even harder. And my whole theory as a guy who, you know, has this undergraduate degree in economics, 20 years old, so I'm not exactly an expert, but uh, is that this is all an easy money thing, right? The Fed has zero interest rate. There's all this money floating around, obviously, during the pandemic. You know, extraordinary measures need to be taken. I would disagree a lot with how they were taken, but they were there. And there was a lot of money to people to gamble with. And there's a lot of like overlap between crypto and gambling. So, you know, people are speculating when the Fed raises rates is doing now that should, you know, sort of collapse the system. Yeah, I, I, I've seen it frequently, like the common knowledge, especially among people like ideological Bitcoin people, right, was that it's the world's greatest inflation hedge, that it's 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 better. It's better than gold. And in the past six to eight months, that's turned out to be completely false. Yeah, their only problem with that argument was, was you know, facts. <laughs> it was evidence. Um, you know, they just started saying it because I think the other things weren't working as well. Um, the arguments change, you know, over time. First, it was like, it'll be a currency, but then it didn't work as a currency. So now it's uh, it's the future of money, which is really funny because, of course, private money, which is what cryptocurrency wants to be, right? It's not money issued by the state. Oh, so who's it issued by? Corporations, basically, effectively, right? So so instead of it being public money and money being a public good, they're instead going to change it to private money. Well, private money is a thing we fucked around with in the 19th century. Uh, it was a disaster. So it's not the future <laughs> of money. It's, it's the past of money, right? 
even if it were to become instead of company script, you'll be getting paid in company apes. Is, yeah. is that where this is going? <laughs> exactly, exactly. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Tom. Your your productivity on the line was pretty low. No slurp juices for you. No, yeah. no slurp juices at lunch. <laughs> when a cop when a cop gets kicked off the force, they slurp the juice right off the ape. They untransform the ape. <laughs> um, but uh, Ben, I was like to just go back a little, like you know, uh, we, like we we talked about like the Super Bowl this like this this year when it happened, and just like it did feel like that that year in the Super Bowl where like the Pets dot com ad and everything was like a dot com company. It really felt that way. But like, uh, unlike you know, for instance, the Ponzi schemes of yore, like it does seem to be like a, a key strategy to um, getting people to buy is the endorsement of celebrities. Like, this would be like if Charles Ponzi, like, you know, uh, cut a radio ad with Fatty Arbuckle or something, getting you to, like, <laughs> buy buy shares in his company or whatever. But, like, you know, like, Ben, from your perspective, and, like, you know, in, in the New York Times profile on you and the piece that you and Jacob did in Slate, I mean, like, it, you, I mean, like you, you've been at the forefront of saying, like, I'm a celebrity, don't take financial advice from me. But honestly, like, based on just, like, the first... 20 minutes of recording, I would take financial advice from you, Ben. So please, <laughs> what, what, what stock tips do you have? <laughs> yeah, right. Well, what I would say is, you know, if you can't under, simple stuff is very important and, and we get lost. We, we lose ourselves in these speculative bubble phases that we're in right now, or that we're, that we're coming out of perhaps as we speak. Um, and people get enamored of, you know, they used to call it, it's, they used to call it greed. We now call it FOMO. Um, but, but, you know, people just want to make money and I get that who doesn't want to make money. Um, you should never invest in something you don't understand now. Now, now crypto people will use that as like, oh, you need to know more about cryptocurrency to understand it. Um, so just, 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 you know, take this 100 hour seminar, watch, watch all 350 episodes of the podcast that I've done on cryptocurrency where I explain, you know, no, you need to try to understand that what they're telling you is not true. That it's not a currency. And it's very strange to, to call something something that it doesn't do. And it can't work as a currency. So what is it instead? Well, if, well as soon as you break that, that down that, that wall, then people start wondering, well, what is it? And once you understand that it's a security, that it's a stock, basically, or something, it's a joint venture for profit, right? They, you don't do anything for it, right? You buy some crypto and you hope to make money on it. That's the definition. It's called the Howey test, but it's the definition of a of, of security. And we've had laws on the books for a hundred years, uh, almost because 90 years, because a hundred years ago we had the roaring twenties and, and the crash, uh, in 1929 led to the great depression. Um, it's really interesting to think about some similarities between those two. Um, sorry, I'm going to get real econ dorky on, on you, but like spit spit, you know, one of them is the adherence to the gold standard. There's a great book, Lords of finance by Lilliquat, uh, Ahmed, um, about the central bankers and how they basically contributed to the Great Depression by adhering to the gold standard. And why that's interesting in this context, it could, because so the gold standard would be, you know, your fiat, your, your money had to be tied to a certain amount of gold. Well, you couldn't expand the money supply in times of crisis. And so everything just shrank. Everything just collapsed in on itself. And it's, what's interesting about Bitcoin is that it purports to be, it wants to be something like the gold standard, Right. Bitcoin argues that it's it's limited supply, only 21 million Bitcoin can ever be mined, supposedly, that that will create this value. But that's a deflationary uh, money that doesn't work. It, even if it worked the way they want it to, it doesn't work. Um, and so it's really interesting that we're sort of literally sort of like copying something from 100 years ago 
kind of renaming it, kind of putting it through all of the the tech filters that we put, social media filters, right? Selling it on Twitter and Instagram and TikTok. But it's the same stuff and they're lying to you. And I don't particularly care too much about rich people lying to each other and screwing each other over. It's not like something that animates my, I just don't care that much. Um, But when it gets down to like selling your average person who doesn't have money to lose, that this is their way to emancipate themselves, to like give themselves financial freedom. Um, it's, it's gross. It's really gross. And the celebrities are, I think of them as the megaphone that's necessary at the end of the MLM Ponzi life cycle. At, because you need more and more and more people in. At the end of it, you get the biggest megaphone you can possibly get. You get Matt Damon and LeBron James, and Larry David and the frickin' Super Bowl. But as weird as that sounds... In bubbles, you usually at the end, you go parabolic. At the end, it swings up like crazy, and then it crashes like crazy. And this is the crash you're probably you're seeing now as Bitcoin lost like, it's down like, it's down now well over 50% just in the last six months as inflation is, is geared up and maybe more importantly as the Fed has started to raise interest rates. People are gambling with this money, but the money, this quote unquote money, but it doesn't have any value because it doesn't do anything. And that, I think, is something that I've been trying to express to folks, but it's really hard because the marketing and page, there's so much money behind them that it's hard to kind of cut through until it starts to fall. And yeah, like, the, sorry, Felix, go ahead. I, I was just saying that the target, like every every type of like MLM and scam and Ponzi has a specific target. Like there's for MLMs where there's like physical sales, it often seems to target like a type of middle class woman, like a, a downwardly mobile middle class woman or like a bored woman on the second half of middle age, kind of there are kinds that target like young men specifically. This one is, I mean, it is a great, great scheme of our time because this one specifically seems to seek out middle-class people who are struggling to maintain the same standard of living as their parents. They think that this is the, the unstated thing is like, Oh, this is going to be the same thing for me as like, buying a house for $20,000 was for my parents. Right. Right. I think, I think it's so, so in fraud circles, um, it's called affinity fraud. When you're targeting a specific group, you're, you're targeting a specific group, easily identifiable. It could be, could be racial, uh, could be gender, could be, uh, could be age, could be the elderly are often targeted. And you, what you do in order to appeal to those people is you've picked respected members of that community in order to show for you. So, you know, uh, Tom Selleck sells you a reverse mortgage on your house, right? Or whatever. Um, and maybe I shouldn't use the word fraud. Now I'm going to get sued by a reverse mortgage company <laughs> or whatever. But like, you know what I'm saying? Like you're trying to curry favor in a specific um, community. And it, it's pretty gross because the way you do that is by taking a member from that community and sort of like getting them in on it, right? Even if, they, even if most of the time they're not even aware of what they're doing which I think has ramifications across the board, right? I mean, I don't want to say definitively they're affinity frauds, but when you look at everything from women in NFTs to, you know, Spike Lee's commercial about, you know, Bitcoin ATMs, the black community, like the, the, the dialogue is very similar. The problem with all that stuff is that it's bullshit. <laughs> That's yeah. the problem. <laughs> the only problem is the lying, right? If it were true, it'd be great. But the problem is you're taking people who, in some cases, um, are living on the margins, like you said, or, or, or are 
comfortable-ish, but are then taking on so much risk that they're not necessarily aware of. Like the problem with Bitcoin is not that it could go up. That's cool. But the problem risk-wise, if you talk to a licensed financial investor, which, advisor, which I am not, um, is that it could go to zero, <laughs> that you could lose all of your money. Um, and not just that, they, the, the, the way that you buy it and stuff, I mean, you can do it in a more traditional way, but there's a lot of like, oh, you just go to this website and click on this thing and then you do this and you do that and you're then you get rug pulled, right? You've created all these intermediaries in this supposedly decentralized system and people are just getting scammed and rug pulled. Like forget about whether Bitcoin's going up and down. Just in the overall cryptocurrency market, of which there are like 20,000 cryptocurrencies or something like that, which is really crazy because if you think about it, these are securities, right? These are effectively securities. That's more than all of the listed securities in the entire U.S. stock markets, in all of the markets. <laughs> That's pretty crazy, right? And so you're just, you know, you're just scamming people, right? You're just coming up with ways of taking their money, their real money, getting to invest in some project, which is extremely opaque. They, they never reveal like who owns what or, you know, where the money's coming from. Um and then you're subject to the to the the whims of of whatever thing they're pulling they're trying to pull off right and you can literally your your tokens can go from whatever value there are to you see it all the time you see these charts in crypto that are just absolutely insane um and you're right i mean i think they're they're i mean look to be real cynical i think they're taking money from whoever they can take money from right i mean it's like middle class people poor people rich people black white men women you know, it's gotten pretty big at this point. It, it, it its peak was worth three trillion dollars on paper. If you think of it as more of a Ponzi or an MLM, or at least a speculative bubble built off of a Ponzi or an MLM, then that's the biggest Ponzi or MLM in the history of the world by an order of magnitude. And and just one thing I've noticed recently is that a lot of the um the, the 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 chief proponents of like NFTs and cryptos and the people who have made the most money off of it have like more or less admitted that it is a Ponzi scheme and that's okay because someone's going to make money. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and SBF. Like, yeah, sorry. Yeah, be, be, because it's it's not a currency, then it like okay, like well then okay, yeah, yeah, it, they're like sort of embracing it. Yeah, it is a Ponzi scheme, but at the end of the day, if you're like the people who get in and like the top fifteen percent are going to make the money. And hey, like as as the guy who actually you spoke to in the uh, that's in the New York Times profile where you visited one of the the Bitcoining mining operations says to you at the end of the piece, he says, "Look, life's a gamble, and like all all fin uh, like all finances involve taking risks, and I'm comfortable taking risks." But like, yeah, if yeah this of course is being, he is. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but if, if if this is being sold as something that is like a revolutionary new currency or like the basis of our economy. Uh, like it, it doesn't seem like that it's something that is less reliable than gambling on NFL games. Like this is, this is not just a moral disaster, but this could lead to like a true financial disaster as well. It could. I mean, at a minimum, you know, if, if I'm right and you know, I'm humble, I don't can't predict the future any more than anyone else, but yeah, I see all the telltale signs of sort of, it's not as big as the sum. The good news is it's not as big as the subprime crisis. Um, you know, if even if on paper it's three trillion or or was, and now it's like half of that already. Bless you. Now it's like one and a half. Um, you know how much real money is in there? Not one and a half. I don't know how much, but there's a lot of leverage being employed. People are 
you know, speculating. There's all these like lending programs. You give your crypto to one company and then they mysteriously, you know, you give them the crypto and then they mysteriously create return for you. That's like crazy return, you know, 10%, 30% a year or whatever. So when it falls apart, I don't think this will be the thing that like takes down the entire financial system most likely. But the problem of course, is you're sort of like, every time you say that you kind of go, I think, I hope, because you, you never know until it falls, like what's connected to what, right? Mm-hmm. Because because we know this, we, we never learned the lessons from 07, 08, right? Like we didn't change the system. Everyone knows this, right? Like we can sort of intuitively understand that nobody went to, it's not intuitive, nobody went to jail. <laughs> nobody like paid a price for it really, except for the poor people who got mortgages they couldn't afford under dubious terms. And I, I'm worried now that we'll get sort of like a, it's like a niche version of that where it's like specific people will lose all of their money. And we're starting to hear from those folks, right? Like people who have like their parents invested and got scammed and lost all their money. And then like somebody's committed suicide. Like they're horrible stories, man. They're really bad stories because it's not, it's all fun when it's going up, when it's going down and you actually lose money that you can't afford to lose. That's when I get really pissed off because they lied to them with movie stars, athletes, with the most famous people they could find. And then, you know, some of these folks are going to lose their money and you can't tell me it's their fault. Like I understand there's degrees and whatever, but like you ask folks in crypto and I have, I've been going around asking them like, what do they, cause they always talk about the people that made money. And I say, well, what about the people that got scammed? What about the people that got defrauded? You know what their answer is? Every single time their answer is they should have done more research. Well, I mean, that's certainly, I think like the pernicious part about making uh, like the big, even the big two cryptos, like uh, Ethereum and Bitcoin, like making them totally analogous to money. I will say that, like my stance, uh, my stance on NFTs has not really changed. I think that they're they both represent like a sort of embarrassing 1970s type midpoint in an undeveloped technology that will maybe one day represent a horrible new reality for like digital rights ownership, but the technology just isn't there yet. My stance on cryptocurrencies themselves, though, has softened a little. Just I, I, in the past year, I've I've been I did a fundraiser for like uh, these Palestinian related charities, and I had to work really hard to find things that like you know weren't on some sanction list that could at least have a PayPal account that could at least have a a, a bank a, a bank that would accept wires from America because it's already incredibly difficult. And we thankfully raised a lot of money. And for a few charities, it was pretty easy getting it to them. Like it's usually a wire or a physical check. But for the the one group that was in Palestine itself, it was it was one of the most time consuming things I've done for something that should be incredibly easy. In the time that I was trying to get them their part of the money, they had three PayPal accounts seized for having the word fucking Palestine in it. They had to shift around bank accounts because they like, weren't allowed to accept wires from America just because the financial system is so stacked up against not even enemies of America, but like if you're not on our side, you're just you're just kind of cut out. You're just kind of fucked and you're cut out. Um and my the reason that I say my my stance softened is like I don't really think of cryptocurrencies as a currency really, but just as like an unfortunately super volatile value store. 
Right. If I had, it, okay, like say that the amount, no, this, this the, 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 right, yeah. the amount was like $40,000. Say right. I bought like, it would probably be like at the time, like 90% of a Bitcoin, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, okay, here you guys go. And if they could have immediately cashed it out, which the problem is, I mean, they're, the problem is turning it into real money. You still have to rely on the same like shitty financial system. But the idea of cryptocurrency itself, I don't think is a bad idea. And in retrospect, I like I I would have maybe tried that. But then, of course, yeah, you have the same problem. They eventually have to turn it into real money. And that 90 percent of a Bitcoin that you gave somebody in like, you know, fucking June of 2021 that could be worth that could go from being worth like forty thousand dollars to being worth like you know twenty two thousand right now so it's you would all the things that make crypto fun for people including the supposedly like most stable highest market cap ones are the exact things that make it kind of like unreliable as an actual currency or just a value store that's right. And I mean, I think you're making a great point. And, and the one thing crypto does do well is point that our system sucks. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's pretty good at the criticism part, right? Or at least some of the criticism. Some of the criticisms actually don't totally track. But the, the notion that we need to reform, you know, the legacy banking system needs to be reformed, that we need to figure out a way to do some sort of censorship resistant privacy, have some privacy uh, uh, elements and censorship resistance in our in our currency it, those are really interesting ideas and ideas that Jacob and I have been talking to a lot of, you know, people were having fun talking to, you know, economists and, and um, professors of law and, uh, and the like. Um, there aren't a lot of easy answers. I mean, I think that's the hard part, right? Is like what crypto has done is like for, for to use sort of your example of basically trying to, to take something of value and transmit it overseas to a place that has trouble accepting things of value so that they can get the thing that they really need, right? Like we hear about some people in Afghanistan using Tether possibly or being sent Tether, the stable coin um, that's used a lot because the banking system has been such a disaster over there. Um, to do that is, is um, you know, has its benefits. The, the, I think the downside is that you are, like you said, the value fluctuates wildly and there's no, it's, it's, it's sort of working because it's outside the law right now. Right. But the, the goal should not be to just create things that are outside the law, which also allow criminals to use them for all. Cause if you can send it over, then obviously, you know, it's being used for, um, you know, a ton of money laundering. It's being used, obviously ransomware. I mean, ransomware is such a great example because, you know, it's really funny to hear like, Oh yeah, that the, the, the ransomware problem, that's a problem with hacking. It's like, hmm, hacking's been around for a pretty long time, and it's probably a lot easier to hack than most people think it is. It's the problem you get is you need to get that, you know, you hack into the government database or the, the colonial pipeline. You need millions and millions and millions of dollars of ransomware, right? Like you want to get money. But how you get money immediately in millions of dollars? Let's, you could meet somebody in a Home Depot parking lot with bags full of cash, but you're probably going to get arrested. Um and they track, you know, for every time they track down Colonial Pipeline, there's there's a million other, um, you know, ones that, you know, get away with it. So ransomware really flourished because of cryptocurrency would be my argument. And there's a lot of other things that are flourishing, you know, tax evasion, capital flight, um, uh, uh, sanctions evasion, things like that. There are sometimes pluses and minuses. Sometimes there are pluses, like maybe we want to avoid some government policy that was, you know, it's terrible. Uh, but 
like I, I'm sympathetic to that argument and we're trying to talk to those people, but it's really hard for me to separate that from what's happening in this country, in this country, in terms of most people, they're gambling on something that they think has value or investing, I guess you should say with quotes in something they think has value, but economically it doesn't. And so when it crashes, which I believe it will, those people are going to be screwed. So, you know, anyway, that's a, a clunky way of answering your question, I guess. Uh, ben, I'm curious, like as, as you as you've sort of become more of a like a, a prominent critic of of crypto and like NFT and the, and and this whole new universe, like I'm I'm interested in like uh, the people you've encountered, the arguments you've encountered by its most uh, fervent believers. You know, like there is there's sort of a utopian ideology connected with this. Like you know, like we were talking about like this idea. This is a a new form of money. This is a form of money free from government control. I mean, like you know, there are the uh, the obvious sort of like uh, troll responses about like, you know, you're a no coiner or like, you know, have fun being poor or whatever. But like, you know, like what, what like I was, I'm interested in more of like the uh, in the defenders of this, like not just the people who are making like millions of dollars on it, but like the, in just sort of like the, uh, the, 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 the scenarios are just like the, the freedom that they imagine that this will provide like all of humanity. Like, I mean, like uh, what yeah. are some of those arguments and like, like how do you, how do you um, respond to them? Sure. So we went down to, uh, the Bitcoin conference in Miami, which is the biggest conference um, in the world, I guess, in terms of comes to, to Bitcoin. Um, and we walked around the floor and I interviewed people and, you know, people have booths set up and I interviewed regular folks just attending. Um, you realize quickly that it's not monolithic. Um, one of the things that I find sort of endlessly fascinating about money is that it's not real. Um, you know, money is a social construct, just like government or religion. It requires a critical mass to believe in it for it to function. And so you see this critical, you know, because and, and, and when it fails, when when, you know, all of a sudden people start to to uh, not believe in, you know, the government and and then if enough people don't believe in it and the governments can collapse and the currencies often collapse right along with them as well as the economy. Um this is sort of the other side, right? It's like all of these promises that cryptocurrency will do all of these wonderful things for each of these individual people. And so they have their individual um, things they're fascinated by. It's everything from talk to one guy who's a former Occupy Wall Street um, guy who his net, he's an artist and now he paints these really elaborate paintings of um, like, like a, it's like a group of men seated around a table who are supposed to represent the bankers of the world. Um, they are pretty Jewish. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and there's a big Bitcoin sign in the back and it's like, you know, we're taking down the system and, you know, we had a long conversation um, on camera recorded all this about, you know, no, it's not, he's not anti-Semitic. This is uh, the way that, you know, and, and you're into some interesting territory, right? There's people like that. There's also um, the first booth I walked into at Miami was, uh, uh, so it's on the outside. So it's like the less expensive booth. So it was uh, panties for Bitcoin. It's a uh, father-son team. Uh, they've started a panty company that you can only buy panties in Bitcoin because I don't know. I guess I think the dad worked in the panty business or in the undergarments business. And so we just knew how to probably get them cheap from China or something. So they're selling you, you know, panties for Bitcoin. So there's a range, right? There's like, there's like people who are like, just, it's like a trade show on one side. It's like a get rich quick scheme on another for a lot, of, for many people. If you look at the polling, if you believe the polling, 
um, industry polling, um, then most people got into cryptocurrency in the last year, in 2021. And most people got into it uh, as speculation, as a way of making money. So that's the majority. And most of those people have lost money at this point, because you can look at a chart. <laughs> and so I don't like that part, but that, that is, you know, that, that that's probably the majority inside of it is, is, you know, everything from like super hardcore libertarian uh, ideology to, to honestly what you would think would be the opposite politically, like a very sort of um, progressive, um, you know, up with people, banking system sucks kind of a thing that then I think gets tied up into Bitcoin. And then, um, and then, like, also, like, um, in the New York Times profile of you, um, it, you know, it talks about how you visited one of these Bitcoin mining facilities in Texas. Uh, was it like the uh, the Windstone U.S. Um, was like, what what was that like? I mean, like, what like, I mean, we can I, I can sort of like imagine it in my head, like it's just like a warehouse of like these huge, like you know, just hard drives whirring all the time that are liquidly cooled. But like, which is, can you just like describe what one of those facilities is like? It, it was. It was truly surreal. Um, so I grew up in Austin, uh, where South by Southwest takes place. And um, when David, the reporter who wanted to do a piece on me, suggested coming down, I said, yeah, you know, we're, we're thinking about going to a crypto mine and, you know, you could come. And so we, we drove an hour outside of Austin to a, a tiny little town called Rockdale, Texas, which honestly, even though it's an hour and a half from Austin, I had never been to. Um, it is a very small town. And the Windstone facility has taken over what used to be an Alcoa uh, aluminum smelting plant, which I believe provided the, you know, the jobs back, um, back when there, we used to have, have aluminum smelting in this country, um, or at least there. Um, and it's on 33,000 acres that have now been turned over um, to, to this mining facility. And the main advantage of the mining facility is that because it was a plant, it is connected to the power grid at a really significant, there's a big, um, what do you call it? A, a transformer or whatever. Like a, there's a huge, you can, you can, it can handle a ton of electricity. And so they're running this massive operation where you go in and it is truly astounding. I mean, you look up, these are sort of football field size or even longer warehouses running endless machines and um he, he stepped into one so there is a cooling part on one side but i was in another room which was the original sort of technology i don't i guess they hadn't developed the cooling yet and it's a it's it's probably about 30 40 feet in the air machines everywhere and it's, it's at the top, it's open so the air can escape, but it's purposefully not ventilated in the sense that there's no, there's nothing pushing the air through necessarily they actually want it to escape up and out uh, for some reason I don't quite understand. So it's really hot. It's like, it was 105 on a pretty kind of mild day for, for March in Texas, um, probably 70 degrees maybe. And the guy that was showing us around his quote in the article said it gets up to 125 in the summer. And, and what you hear is this, 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 like, it's like a, it's like a million digital, digital wasps or something, billions of little, zzz, this sort of low hum. It's really quite, it's, it, it was profound. It was, it was disturbing to me in the sense that from my perspective as a, with a background in economics, because it's not producing any value overall, because in, in economics, this stuff is thought of as zero sum. 
before you add in the electrical component, you're just, you're just gambling, right? It's like what you were talking about the Ponzi. It's like some people are going to win, some people are going to lose, but you just, just gambling. There's no, you're not creating a product. You're not creating a revenue stream based off of that product, right? Like say what you will about Apple or Amazon or whatever, but like they provide a good or a service and like you can, you can monetize that. You can evaluate that. The price can go up and down, but you can sort of have a sense of what that might be worth. You, you, can, you, can, you can hold it in your hand. Like you can, you can see that the thing that was like, you know, producer that in you're sense, interacting yeah. with or use, utilizing in some way. Yeah, exactly. And this isn't, there's none of that. It's, it's, it's just code, right? It's just code that exists on a blockchain somewhere. And they're running enormous amounts of electro uh, of uh, enormous amounts of elect, uh, electrical energy are being used. It is the equivalent of a medium sized country overall. The overall uh, Bitcoin electrical usage is like the equivalent of I forget which country it is. I think now. I think I think France I think was the one that uh, like a, a nation the size of France like the, the equivalent amount of electricity is being used for now all the Bitcoin mining in the world and also but it is going up like exponentially. Yes. Well, by design, the hash rate yeah. keeps going up by design. It's a very, it's an interesting, we're trying to, you know, th- this whole thing was started by, well, we don't know who it was started by. It was started by someone calling, or some people calling themselves Satoshi Nakamoto in um, 2008, um, when this white paper was sort of dumped on the world. Um, and it's an interesting thing to read. It's very short, um, but it's, it's sort of, it's really interesting that this thing that kind of came out of nowhere and that no one has with real evidence proved that they are the originator of, there's some guy who's claiming he is, but he's, he seems like a piece of work. Like most people in crypto. Um, it's really interesting that they've created this massive thing. That's like sort of, you know, using up the electrical equivalent of France and was supposedly worth $3 trillion and no one wants to take credit for it. It's quite a mystery. I'm having a lot of fun trying to get to the bottom of it because economically it's just a real head scratcher. It doesn't make much more sense than sort of the tulip bulb phase of the, you know, the 16th century or whatever. But just in, in, in your description of this like giant facility, it's like 120 degrees on a hot day uh, running. this like an, an enormous directly hooked up to the power grid, running an enormous amount of electricity to run these like essentially computers that are solving math problems. Um, the detail about how it was like, you know, it's in a town outside of Austin and, and the facility itself is in a former factory. And like this hunts, this, this buzz, this, like you described it, a wasp like buzz. It's like, is that the sound of like just the apocalypse happening? I mean, like, what is this like the feeling of like, you know, of, of, of a former factory, like, which, you know, what you should think of as like connected to the economy, but that like what was once a factory that I don't know how, I don't know how. I don't know how provided how many jobs for the people in community or no matter what they built that was like contributing to something of value to society. It's it just like this surreal image of like a former factory now just like taking probably more electricity to produce a kind of an invisible speculative asset. Yeah, it is. It was like the financial apocalypse or sort of capitalism reaching its end point, right? It was like, we're just running machines and burning energy to gamble on. There's no, it doesn't do anything except things that, you know, <laughs> you couldn't do legally. Um, uh, so for sometimes for better or worse, right? Sometimes to send cross-border payments, like I acknowledge that argument. That's a tiny percentage, a tiny percentage of what's being used here. And so it's like, really, this is the best we can do? This is our way of, of sort of, it, it, was, it was dystopic. I mean, I, I and, 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 and sad to me because... The main argument that the gentleman who was um, showing us around, who was running the facility, was making was jobs. 
He's saying, we're bringing in jobs. And there were people working there and you could see them. And I want people to have jobs, man. <laughs> I think jobs are good. Like, I like that. I mean, everyone hates their job, but they should have one. Um, but we have to have something. It, it, it just brought to me, it, honestly, it, what it brought to mind was the old Keynes line. You know, Keynes, the line of like, at this, you know, in a times of crisis, just literally pay people to dig holes in the ground and then fill them back up again. I was like, that would be better than this. That would be use less electricity. Give them a shovel and tell them, yeah, you got to do it. By the way, take your time. <laughs> There's no rush because you're just going to fill it back up. Um, but we're, we have to find more productive uses for this incredible potential that we have in this country. I think we've just really lost our way. I am getting really mad at, a, I believe that capitalism is eating our democracy. I believe that it has bought off both parties uh, to some extent. And we see that in the inability to do anything, anything proactive, seemingly, that could possibly hurt what is termed innovation, but is really sort of a redistribution from, you know, the poor to the wealthy or whatever, or the wealthy getting more money. It's bad. And I say that as someone who, you know, I've, I've profited from the system, you know, albeit in a weird way as a former teen idol, but like capitalism has you know, I think of it the way Churchill thought about democracy. It's the worst system ever created except for all the rest. Like it's, it's bad. It's not working. And I don't know how to fix it. But until we at least start calling out the lying and the fraud, uh, you know, at least it's a start, right? That's, that's, that's sort of where I get to. All right. Uh, I guess like uh, this is my last question here for you. I mean, it's just referring back to the New York Times profile. I got to sure. ask about this. It does say that you pitched uh, Josh Schwartz, the creator of the OC, on a reboot that would focus on beloved character Luke Ward becoming a cryptocurrency billionaire. You said that was a, that was a sort of tepidly received by Josh. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I was I was half joking. Um, uh, it would be kind of funny. Um, you know, we'd have to get the the show on the air pretty quick. I think for it to really <laughs> land. Uh, but. Uh, but yeah, Josh, Josh and I were joking around. I mean, I wanted to, I, I, when, when um, David, the reporter asked me about that, I, I, you know, look, to be, to be perfectly blunt, I feel like I have to use the tools at my disposal in order to fight back against a much more powerful foe. So I need to use whatever pop, like, you want to call me Ryan Atwood, hate crypto. You want to do memes of me punching, you know, Luke, actually his character when then saying, you know what I like about crypto, nothing. Great go for it. Like I'll even like it. I might even retweet it if it's actually funny, but like we, I have to do whatever I have to do in order to like, keep it going. So you want to, you know, deride me or not you, but like you want to sort of poke fun at me. The fact that a former teen idol is somehow helping lead this cause against cryptocurrency. Sure. Trust me. It's as funny to you as it is to me. It's ridiculous. <laughs> it's totally absurd. When I think about the fact that like I'm doing it, I'm like, Really, they couldn't have found like Ryan Gosling wasn't available. They couldn't have like, figured out <laughs> like a much more famous and better actor to like to do this. Like this is that's how far down the list they had to go was coming coming to me. Um, but anyway, I'll, I'll take it on a run with it. And uh, yeah, OC reboot starring Luke Ward's Crypto Bro coming okay. to you. Well, just 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 along those lines of uh, you know you, using using the 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 tools in, in, in you, at your disposal to fight a much more powerful enemy. I just like to like give you just like a, a little bit of a note here. I think you have the right idea, but the wrong character. If you'd like to reboot the OC, you need to make it centered around Seth Cohen, 
becoming a crypto NFT guy because he was bar none the most evil character on that show. Seth Cohen was evil? Why? Yes. Damn. I don't, I don't Damn, know this. Whoa. Do you have an ex-girlfriend who liked him or something? Got a crush on him? Like, what happened? Uh, no, just a current girlfriend. No, no, no. no. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. Why was he so evil? I want to know this now. Okay. Uh, he was, um, there was just something about him. Uh, he, I, 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 I found that he was um, uh, manipulative of your character. Uh, non- throughout the entire run of that show. He, he manipulated you and everyone around him with his, like, he just had this, like, um, like sort of, uh, uh, like, like, shy, like, quirky, like, nice guy thing going on. But, like, truly, he was a, a Kaiser Sose, like, uh, manipulator and, and master, master sociopath. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Yes, he was. Yes, he was. And poor Ryan Atwood was no match for his, his wiles. Uh, yeah, yeah. Seth Cohen, master manipulator. I love it. All right. Um, uh, Matt and Felix, do you have any, uh, any, any final closing thoughts or questions for uh, our boy Ben here? I, I do think the OC did pioneer. I didn't want to ask you about it at first. I, I thought it would like, it, it, for me, it would be like if you interviewed me and you were like, so, uh, like, well, what's, up, what's up with like drunk driving or like not, not wearing condoms? <laughs> like a joke I did like three years ago. Like, no, no one pulled up a recording to say that I did it last week. But. <laughs> Uh, now that it's been brought up, the OC pioneered my favorite thing in sort of like high, high, high middle end teen fiction, which is a certain character archetype, the like stern uh, family patriarch who everyone thinks has like $300 million and turns out to be completely bankrupt. That's like the best type of character in young adult fiction. I really think Gossip Girl changed the game by having the captain Nate Archibald be the greatest father of all time, uh, going to rehab twice and decking his son while he was being arrested, if I recall right. But I think if, you know, you bring the OC back, this would be a great new way for a bad dad to lose his money. So is this Jimmy Cooper? Is that Yeah, what I think this would be a Jimmy Cooper thing. This is Tate Donovan does his true, who's like a sweet, lovely dude in real life, does his like, Slick Silicon Valley. Yeah, I happen to have lost all of our money. I like it. I like it. I'm going to pitch it to Schwartz. Yeah, no time like the look. If we're just, if we all just like died in when Obama was elected, and we're just reliving the same eight years forever, why not do the best possible job we can at that? I, I agree. I agree completely. Well, look, don't call us about this idea. We'll call you. We've got your number, and we'll, I have a lot we'll reach of ideas. <laughs> Uh, I just have one question. We were talking earlier about how it's sort of broadly assumed that all of these celebrities who started showing off their apes were gifted them by the different companies, but that there is a possibility that some of them actually paid for their apes. And I would just like to say that I need to know which celebrities actually bought their apes with cash so that I can talk to them about all the awesome restaurant ideas I have that I would like them to invest in because I feel like I could have a real, I have a real captive audience. I think they'd be pretty uh, easily persuaded if I could just get in a room with them. I think that's great. If they could provide us with a short list of what they actually paid, if anything, then we will, that will help us understand where to target our, with your restaurant ideas. I've got a bunch of ideas. I want to pitch them on. They need to defund development of shows that I can be in or movies that I can star in or stuff like that, or just give me the money. Yeah. They should make an NFT. That's like, uh, like the most famous woman in the world having sex with the most famous man. 
and have it be real. <laughs> Kate, that's right. Cade Upton in The Rock. <laughs> if if you like see those people, we can cut this out. I don't want to like get you yelled at. For that. I was. It's funny. I was just about to go over to The Rock's house for for a couple of quick quick tequilas. Um, and, so, and some light lifting. It's <laughs> some light lifting. <laughs> I guess I'll have to scrap that now. Uh, sorry, guys. I'm back. My uh, my laptop froze and crashed immediately after I slandered the honor of uh, Seth Cohen. So I mean, just lesson <laughs> learned. Lesson pretty learned. Pretty sure he got to you, dude. Pretty sure he got to you. <laughs> yeah, Ben. I I just like to say that you were uh, comprehensively our most articulate and uh, w- like thoughtful um, guest we I think we've ever had. So I don't think that's, that. that's see now you're just now you're lying to me because I I heard you on with Dave Weigel, who I'm a fan of, and I was like, well. He's pretty smart. Uh, but thank you for that, sir. I appreciate it. If you could just look, all I need you to say is I'm the smartest former teen idol you've had on the show. And that's all I need. That's all. That's all I wanted out of this. Ladies and gentlemen, that does it for Shop Trap House, Monday, May 9th, 2022. Thanks again to Ben McKenzie, the most thoughtful former teen idol in history. Yes. Suck it, Johnny Depp. <laughs> <laughs> 21 Jump Street. Google it, kids. Okay. The original. <laughs> Freaking new movies. Bye. Bye, guys. See ya. All right. Thanks. Thanks again. Yeah, thank you. Thank right. you so much, Ben. Bye. Thank you. I am on. the best.